10 or 11 billion dollars a year. Something. The Outline World Dispatch. Thursday, June 1st, 2017. I'm Adrian Jeffries. Today on The Dispatch, Roland Bishop on the vulnerability of Bitcoin. The reality is, is that you're more likely to get fished than this blockchain is to get cracked. And Derek Gaillot on the sportification of the Scripps National Spelling Bee. I couldn't imagine that sports fans could possibly be interested in spelling. And boy, were we wrong. And Andy Martino on the end of the world. We will all lose. We're all going to die. Here's the dispatch. The future. The price of the digital currency Bitcoin has been soaring, and analysts are saying it could rise to 100000 or even a million dollars. The decentralized currency is theoretically more secure than ever because it has more users than ever. But the incentive to hack it or break it is also now greater than ever. Rollin Bishop looked into this question of just how vulnerable is Bitcoin to hacking. Hey, Rollin. Hey, Adrian. So when we talk about Bitcoin getting hacked, what exactly are the targets of that hacking? There's essentially two targets. There's Bitcoin itself and the underlying blockchain technologies. And then there's anywhere that these Bitcoins are exchanged or otherwise transferred. Mt. Gox is one, probably the most famous one, uh, went under after like 850,000 Bitcoins disappeared. Those exchanges are the prime target. What did you find out? Have we seen an increase in the vulnerability of Bitcoin to hackers or a decrease? Ultimately, what I found out is that it's sort of remained the same, which is that, as you said, the larger it gets, the more transactions there are, the harder it is to sort of break. But ultimately, the same insecurities that existed with third-party applications and exchanges are still there, while the bedrock of Bitcoin uh, blockchain technology is still just as secure as ever. So what kind of attacks is that underlying blockchain technology vulnerable to? The underlying blockchain technology is basically it's a ledger of sorts, a record of transactions that is appended by a cryptographic hash. So think of it like there's this decentralized record of all of these transactions out there. So everyone can look at it. Everyone can tell where this digital money is going, where it's been, uh, when it came into existence. So all of these variables, these factors, are very difficult to fake. Um, and in fact, every expert that I spoke with basically said that it's all but impossible because of how complicated it is. The reality is, is that you're more likely to get fished than this blockchain is to get cracked. Can we say that Bitcoin is more vulnerable to hackers or less vulnerable to hackers than, say, the U.S. dollar? I would say that Bitcoin compared to the U.S. dollar is hypothetically, theoretically as stable. But I would say that if something were to happen where your Bitcoins got lost and your U.S. dollars got lost, like let's say there's some sort of cataclysm that both of the that destroys both of them somehow you're more likely to get those u.s dollars back because there's federal regulation behind it saying that oh you know up to like i think it's fifty thousand dollars uh you are still backed by the government whereas with bitcoin if that goes away one day it's just gone what's your basic takeaway from this 
Bitcoin is going to be under increased scrutiny. Um, the technology at the center of it is going to get a lot more attention, especially as the price goes up. There are analysts out there predicting even greater gains. Um, I think with this increased scrutiny and everyone looking at it, if there are flaws, if there are problems inherent to the technology, those will sort of come up. They haven't yet because of how sort of complex the cryptography is at the center of it. Um, and then on top of that, we're going to get a lot more attention to the larger exchanges, uh, which the security of these can vary wildly, right? So uh, if, if you have someone on the inside that is, has access to where these funds are stored, the wallets, or anyone gets compromised in any number of ways, phishing attacks or malware, any normal IT attack vector that you can imagine could theoretically be applied to these third-party exchanges. So I come away thinking, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do this Bitcoin thing. Well, you're going to miss out because it's going to the moon. <laughs> to the moon! Thanks, Rollin. Yeah, thanks, Adrian. Culture. For a few days each spring, the Scripps National Spelling Bee becomes the most talked about competition in the country. Couldn't turn away last night. I could not turn away from the National Spelling Bee competition. Every year, we invite the winner of the Scripps National Spelling Bee to the show to be walloped by me, and that is walloped with two L's, <laughs> FYI. What began in 1925 as a promotional event for the Louisville Courier-Journal and the few other newspapers they invited to sponsor contestants is now an established pop culture phenomenon thanks in large part to ESPN, who began broadcasting the Bee in its entirety in 1994. This week, ESPN Networks will dedicate over 15 hours of broadcast time to the event. I spoke with Scripps CEO Rich Bainey, who was instrumental in bringing the bee to ESPN. When you would sit and watch it, the drama and the kids and the family and the pronouncer, it just, you know, it looked like it was an event that people could enjoy beyond those sitting in the room. We started talking to people about, you know, who would be interested in this as a beginning to end of the finals. And ESPN got interested very quickly. And I remember thinking that that was really silly. That's Katie McCrimmon. She was the color commentator for the 1994 broadcast, and she won the B herself in 1979. I couldn't imagine that sports fans could possibly be interested in spelling. And boy, were we wrong, because it turned out to be this hit. Was there anyone who was like, this is not going to work? Many. All kinds of people, because it just like most people do when they, they say, what? spelling bee, ESPN, tell me why that makes sense. So sure, w without something to see, you know, now you've got some years of the show to look at and say, yeah, okay, that works. Uh, but then, you know, the first year when we said to all the sponsors uh, and everybody, ESPN is going <laughs> to is gonna cover the finals of the spelling bee, people were, yeah, definitely perplexed. To their credit, ESPN didn't try to dumb it down. They really wanted to present the contest in its true form. You know, the Spelling Bee folks tailored a few things to them, like just in terms of scheduling. The Bee runs in rounds. Well, 
you know, do, do you try to do you try to take commercial breaks just at the end of the rounds? And trouble is, the rounds get shorter and shorter as you go. So just sort of trying to figure out how to handle the pacing. But it didn't didn't take us too long. And if you watch the show now, we just um, take breaks. It seems all normal now. I do remember way back in the old days, and the old school folks were really concerned. They didn't want to take advantage of the students, and they um, they weren't sure that TV was the right medium for this kind of serious academic event. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think it's harm to be at all, you know, the integrity of the contest is all there. It's just tougher than ever because of all that publicity. If you're in Washington and you go by any place that's got a television on, you know, from sports bars to restaurants to hotel lobbies to the airport, people are gathered and watching the bee and talking about the kids and who they think's gonna win. And that's just, uh, that's really, that's really fun to see. future. So early Wednesday morning, Axios reported that Donald Trump was going to pull out of the landmark 2015 climate change agreement that was reached in Paris. John Roberts, our correspondent in Washington, has one source that is telling him, and he's working on a second source, that the president, President Trump, is pulling out of the Paris climate change deal. Some people were encouraging the president to pull out. Others wanted him to stay. Sources tell CNN a formal announcement will happen this week. What will it mean? Andy Martino has been looking into this and has some numbers on the potential consequence if the U.S. were to actually follow through with that. Hey, Andy. Hey, Adrian. So what's going on? How bad is it for the rest of the world if the U.S. doesn't participate in this deal? Very bad. Uh, This deal, of course, is historic. It's a a climate change agreement that some didn't feel went far enough, but it was the best that was politically available uh, at that time in 2015. The Paris Agreement, of course, uh, the goal of it was to keep the rising temperatures to under 2 degrees Celsius in this century. 2 degrees Celsius is kind of a threshold whereby we would have flooding and uh, superstorms and all kinds of terrible things that we'll probably have anyway, but Paris was an attempt to slow that down. Now, if the U.S. pulls out of that, it would be potentially catastrophic for the deal overall because according to Climate Interactive, which is a a Washington think tank that studies climate change, The U.S. accounts for 21% of the total reductions that were pledged uh, in this accord. Uh, That's second only to uh, China, which would account for 27%, and China's not pulling out. Right, and so uh, that's like the raw difference if, you know, the U.S. kept doing business as usual, didn't make any changes here, but everybody else who had signed on to the agreement, which is, what, 195 countries, if everybody else stuck to the deal, but... Actually, that's not what's expected to happen, right? Well, there is a fear. There's No one's pulling out of the deal right now, but there's a fear, at least uh, from this analysis that Climate Interactive did, that the U.S. pulling out, being, of course, the, the number two emitter in the world, such a huge force in this, that could give some kind of permission or cause some kind of ripple effect to take apart the deal. Uh, but, yeah, the 21% figure that we cited has to do with if everyone else behaves, if every other country, 194 other countries do what they pledge to do in the U.S., Donald Trump pulls out, uh, then you have 21% of the deal is screwed up just automatically. 
Right. And how how is it looking right now for our chances of staying in this agreement? Well, that depends how much credit you want to give the president in his media shop. You could be cynical and say that Axios... Uh, did an insidery kind of trial balloon floating for him. Uh, there was a lot of reaction that was negative today. There's been reporting that Ivanka Trump has been pushing Donald to to stay in in the accord, and that he's been hearing from the Bannon, Steve Bannon wing of his party to withdraw. So there's those similar dynamics that seem to be in play internally, uh, reportedly. And Trump himself, according to the reporting this morning, was was about to pull out. So that looks bad. Uh, But we'll see what happens. Nothing's been official yet. Well, Trump himself tweeted that he would make an announcement one way or another sometime in the next couple days. Well, that's a good teaser for a reality show star. Stay tuned. (laughs) Who will win? Exactly. And who will lose? We will all lose. We're all going to die, Adrian. Thanks so much, Andy. Thank you. That concludes The Dispatch. I'm Adrian Jeffries. Have a good weekend. We'll be back Monday.